0: Miss the show? No problem. On point and on the podcast. What are the Michaels actually suffering in China right now? We talked to a UK journalist who was jailed in China for two years. He shares the torture that he suffered at their hands and warns Canada needs to get tough and needs to get tough now. Commercial towers may be empty right now, but there is a demand for space as those in the e-commerce, biotech, and food warehousing industries are trying to grab up space to store all these goods that are now in demand. And restrictions are killing small businesses, but, you know, might allow salons to cut hair outside. Really? You think that's going to work? Maybe for you guys, not for the ladies. We'll talk about that.
1: Your point. you just don't ever get getting through to you. the point do you understand there is a point, that point where enough is enough. here's Alex Pearson on global news radio
2: so he's kind of limping along and he went down the side in between the houses and I and I thought boy th- this thing's not going to make it he you know he has to hunt to, to stay alive and I'm, I'm not gonna have a dead coyote on my watch
0: no he will not have a dead coyote on his watch but he will have thousands of businesses that will die on his watch. But, you know, I heard that comment, and I'm, I'm just ribbing uh, the premier on this because it was a, a funny story, but he talked about that story about this injured coyote near his home, and he felt badly for it, you know, that it couldn't hunt. And so he called the mayor up to get Cody the coyote some help. And, yes, he gave it a name. And um, my first thought was, does the premier know that the coyotes hunt for, like, the neighborhood puppies and kittens and dogs and animals or whatever? I mean, that that's what they're looking for. And then I thought, no, you know, He doesn't want the coyotes going on his watch, but this is the guy that fights for the little guy. That's what he was elected on. And we've got thousands of businesses dying because he and his team won't go against health experts on these restrictions that are keeping most of the small businesses in the GTHA so restricted It is useless at this point for them to operate. They just can't make any money. And the news has gone through all these restrictions and there's been some minor changes made but it's not going to help small businesses. It's certainly not going to help salons, gyms that still have to stay shut down totally. And of the few restaurants that might have a patio in the GTA and Toronto area, you can open it. And then if you have a restaurant that you can, you're in the red zone, you can get it like 50% filled. But again, it's not going to make margins. And so there's real no balance or fairness to these restrictions. But um Hopefully, the Coyote will do well. But boy, oh boy, whew, I should have known this was coming today. It always does. It always comes right before Easter, and it always comes late on a Friday. But we got the sunshine list today, and oh boy, does it punctuate the very big divide beha- you know, between how unfair these lockdowns have been to the private sector, and they always put it out late on Friday so that it doesn't get the attention. But it's a list of public service employees that earn you know, 100000 and up. It's such a doozy. It's so revolting this year. First of all, there's more than 205,000 people on this list. The number of teachers on this list has doubled. They got that pay raise back in 20, but now one in five teachers is making over $100,000. And don't forget, all the jobs we're talking about, they all come with big benefits packages and pensions. But then you see some of these other salaries, which will make you gag. The president of the University Health Network made 884K. Dr. Williams, 444K. Dr. Davila, 336K. Peel Health Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Lowe, got 358K. Dr. Yaffe was like the cheap one. She was 296,000. And that's just a little bit of it. And I don't begrudge anyone making a decent salary. But is it earned? That's what matters. Is it earned? And everyone say, like, well, they worked long hours. Yeah, okay. We all did. I don't know about you, but I worked really long hours, and I didn't make anywhere near any of those salaries. And the destruction of their decisions and the many missteps really make it hard to justify this money. I mean, what did they do before COVID? That's what I'd like to know. What did you do before COVID to make that salary? Other than diet guides. And, you know, swimming tips. What did you do to earn that money? Right? We got millions of people that work. We have businesses that are losing everything and can't survive because of the decisions they make. I mean, are we all in this together? After, after going through this list, that is a hell no. I mean, try, try selling this to the public, you know, safety with the PSWs working full time in long term care, making what, 17 bucks an hour? Or or try selling that to someone who has, like, not had a paycheck in month or the businesses that are hemorrhaging their retirement just to keep the rent paid or their employees on, on salary. It's, it, it is a great divide. And, and between the public and the private sector, this is just going to leave a bad taste. I'm going to open the phone lines on this one at 7 o'clock because maybe you can justify the cost to me. But I saw this list and I was like, gross. Justin Trudeau on the hot seat today over the two Michaels who are, of course, on trial in China. Both will be found guilty on fake charges. And uh, Trudeau was asked a number of questions today. It was the big theme of his press conference. And he he never gives a direct response on the issues. He was asked over and over, you know, what's the strategy? And and then he dodged and weaved. But then then he was asked a very straightforward question. And it should have had a very straightforward answer. And I think it explains how we got into this.
2: Do you believe Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor are getting a fair trial? One of the challenges around
1: the lack of transparency on that uh, process is it becomes extremely difficult to make judgments around uh, whether or not the trial was fair. I
0: can. Uh, what? What? The answer, Dodo bird, is no. No. Period full stop. There is no such thing as transparency or due process in China. There's no such thing as fair. I heard that answer and I went, w- what did he just say? And I think it tells you how stupidly blind and naive he has been when it comes to China. I mean, does he think all of a sudden the kangaroo court that they run runs on transparency and fairness? I mean, on you, are you, well, because they didn't really give us access, we just don't know if it was fair. I mean, honestly, China must have so much joy in in, they must just laugh at us i mean it's like a cat cornering a mouse and i spoke with a uk journalist today who was jailed for two years he's got a fascinating story and he made very clear that regardless of what happens to the michaels this government needs to grow a spine the
3: canadian government has really failed i think it's failed to protect its citizens both abroad and and at home in in view of those broadcasts Um, and it's time really to be tough. I mean, I know that there is this dilemma of, you know, will it make things worse for the two Michaels? But, you know, you've got to think long term here and what is in the long term best national security interests of Canada and the Canadian population and not some short term -term political um, gains. You know, this is is really ridiculous. Canada needs to get off its hands.
0: His name is Peter Humphrey and I swear to God. uh... It's a fascinating conversation. He gives real insight into the torture that the Michaels would be suffering, probably worse now, and what this uh, country is as a threat to this country if we don't get tough. So when I heard the answer, you know, of Justin Trudeau, after I spoke to that guy, I was like, we're doomed. Do You think it's fair? Um, yeah, I don't know. I, we just don't have the transparency. Oh, God almighty. God almighty. Here on Point, I'm Alex Pearson. This is Global News Radio. We still don't know the fate of Michael Spavor, who was tried in China Friday on these fake charges of spying. But it's uh, very certain that whatever happens uh, in that courtroom, both Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor, will be convicted unless a miracle appears. And they'll, of course, be probably sentenced to life in jail or some labor camp, maybe worse. But now that they've been tried... No question, the return to this country is much, much harder. My next guest would know their suffering. His name is Peter Humphrey. He was a one-time journalist in China when he was arrested in 2013. Of course, he was ultimately convicted for a crime he didn't commit and would spend two years in jail. He got his freedom because of very heavy lobbying by the UK government, which got him freed on grounds of his health as he had developed prostate cancer. Peter Humphreys joining me now from the United Kingdom. You use your um, experience now um, of that nightmare to help others. What what in your mind would be happening with the Michaels?
3: Well, let's start with this trial that supposedly happened today. Um, I don't think it's a surprise, really, um, to see a trial session um, that doesn't immediately announce a verdict and a sentence. Um, In China, quite a lot of trials adjourn after the first and maybe after the only hearing. um, And then they reconvene at a later date to announce a verdict and a sentence. So I would anticipate that that's what is gonna happen. And and it could be very soon or it could just be left uh, lingering for quite a while. Um, I think that um, Michael Spavor this morning would have been basically dragged um, in shackles into a van and taken to the courthouse Um, In shackles and that when he arrives in the courtroom, they probably remove most of the shackles, but he might have still been in handcuffs. I mean, that's pretty standard in Chinese so called trials, and I can't imagine a two hour session um, would have allowed him any opportunity whatsoever. Um, to defend himself, and I don't think it's very likely that any defense evidence would have been allowed to be presented. I mean, I was not allowed to present proper defensive evidence in my trial uh, back in 2014, um, even though I had piles of it. So I think it would have been very much a pro forma, prescripted, ceremonial affair. Unless he started yelling and protesting or something, which we don't know. We don't know because we weren't allowed to see it. I believe that the, that the reason why some trials are declared secret in China is because the authorities don't want the world to really know and see what happens inside the courtroom. I mean, to suggest that it's because of state secrets being involved is absolutely nonsense. So that's how I see today. So you have to look out for um, another session. I think where a verdict would be announced. Insofar as um, the two Michael's and particularly today, Michael Spavor will have been treated in the mm-hmm. last, in the last, whatever it is, three hundred How many days is it? 380 days? Oh, it's Um,
0: 835
3: days. Sorry, my my maths. In the last 830 days, they will have been treated abysmally. and I'm very Mm -hmm. sorry to say that for all the the Canadians uh, who are concerned about them. Um, Because they would have been held in very, very Spartan um, conditions, cell room conditions. Initially, I believe, they were held um, on their own. uh, Mm -hmm. And and, um, that meant that they would have suffered a lot of mental um, damage really from the lack of company. I mean, human beings need company. Um, But I believe that later on, they they may have been transferred to cells with other cellmates. And from a point of view of humanity, I suppose that's a little bit better. Um, But the conditions in these cells are appalling. Uh, Usually, based on my own experience, you don't have beds in the cells, you have to sleep on a hard wooden floor. there's no furniture in the cells normally in a detention center. And um, the sanitary conditions are extremely poor. You know, there's a hole in the floor type of toilet in the corner mm-hmm. of the cell. Um, there's an old, you know, heavy sink with cold water only. You have to wash with cold water and so forth. And, and going through that in the winter uh, in, in parts of China where they are based is, is absolutely awful because winter is like your winter. Um, sure. It's very cold. And the food conditions in these cells, you know, uh, in my experience, um, convict labor was used to bring a food trolley along the corridor of the cell block. And they would pass doggy bowls through the bars of the door into the cell. And usually the food was cold. Um, It was usually quite dirty. And, you know, if you think about vegetables, um, you should think about the scraps from the vegetables that we throw away when we're preparing them for the pot because that's the kind of quality of vegetables they normally hand to prisoners. And and there would be very little meat in the diet, very little protein. So it's really um, quite quite physically quite stressful. And on top of that, you know, you're you're deprived of any contact with Mm -hmm. your loved ones, with your family, with your friends, and, and you're not getting proper consular visits at the rate and level that you are entitled to. Uh, which is what happened in their case, and you're not getting free access to legal advice at key moments. You are interrogated without without any legal advice. Right. You have to answer their questions without any legal advice. And Let me step go- in and
0: ask you this, though, because you know when you, you basically had to um, make an involuntary confession, I mean, you were tortured yourself. Um, but these two men, we're talking 2021 now, tensions with China are obviously... Uh, much more acrimonious um, in the world. So is it, is it safe to say that um, it would be worse for the Michaels? And what would their chance of freedom be now? Mm.
3: I think it has certainly been worse for the Michaels, uh, especially in the early months of their detention, because, as we all know, they were taken hostage. Um, right. They were they were hostages against uh, the, the arrest of Wang Wanzhou. And in that sense, it's been harder for them than it is for whatever an ordinary detainee might be, um, much harder. And, and I think that um, uh, right now, of course, it's even worse because tensions have ratcheted up even higher. And I believe that Chinese deliberately timed this trials, the two trials, to coincide roughly with these first high-level talks between. The Chinese and the American government, which took place mm-hmm. yesterday in Alaska, this was a deliberate, you know, finger in the eye type of thing to remind the Americans that you know we've got these two Canadian hostages, and it's all because you ordered the arrest of Meng Wanzhou and so forth. I'm, I'm sure that the timing was was because of this, uh, and so this is a reminder. This juxtaposition of these events, two side, uh, on two sides of the planet. Uh, today and yesterday is a deliberate reminder to uh, the North Americans that they're not going free until you sort out this Meng Joe problem.
0: And I suspect, I mean, you know, these two men have been in horrible conditions as you were. Um, they have, to our knowledge, been able to keep their sanity with limited um, activity, just kind of keeping their minds active in that. But how did you keep your sanity, your wits, your yeah. strength?
3: I have, I've actually read um, a little bit of private correspondence from one of the two Michaels to their family. Um, I mean, they have been allowed to write one or two letters occasionally, and, and I can see that their experience was very, is, was, is very similar to what I was going through. And, you know, that letter writing is actually one of the ways that you keep your sanity. Right. I mean, you, under international law, you should be allowed to communicate with your family. Um, That has been severely curtailed uh, for these two guys. I mean, it was fairly limited for me as well. But I think for these two guys, it's been severely curbed. Um, But it is one of the things, and even if you don't know whether the letter ever arrives, arrives, uh, reaches your wife or your son or whoever, um, the act of writing is something which is kind of calming and cleansing. Mm -hmm. Secondly, um, you get through this uh, every day by reading. And in in the early stage of their detention, they were even deprived of reading materials, uh, which is really cruel because this is actually one of the ways that you keep sane and keep your mind functioning in a normal and straight straight way. I read read more books in 23 months in, in Chinese cells. Than I read in the pre- previous twenty-three years, <laughs> um, right? And and that is something that keeps you sane. And the third thing that helps you get through is knowing that there are people out there who love you. You know, it's keeping love alive in your mind and in your mm-hmm. heart. You know, wh- one of the things that really a- enabled me to survive was the love between me and my wife. Right. And so, so it's, it is really important um for governments to lobby for that for that um family correspondence contact between a a prisoner and their family and so forth um to keep them sane and uh that includes allowing letters through allowing a few family photographs through and so forth those are the key three things i think that help to keep someone on the rail Physically, they will also need to do something because they're in right. a very confined space. And I do remember that I think it was the Canadian Air Force who, did, who designed decades ago, designed one of the best cell room um, exercise mm-hmm. plans ever designed. And, and um, so they would need to try and develop a daily exercise program within mm-hmm. their confined space to try and keep themselves from, from deteriorating too much physically.
0: Just before I let you go, Peter, quickly, what would you be telling, I mean, given the UK government lobbied for you, our government has uh, tried to appease China for the last few years, it has not worked. What should Justin Trudeau uh, do in his approach
3: now with China? I think that Justin Trudeau has sat on the fence in many issues with China, and, and I would agree with you that there's been a lot of appeasement, maybe more appeasement than hard talk. And... This is completely wrong. You know, I've discussed this issue once or twice with Canadian diplomats in the UK. Two years ago, I told them about a Canadian prisoner in my prison in Qingpu who was dying from cancer. Mm -hmm. The last few days, I've heard that he has died, and I haven't heard a peep out of the Canadian government. This was because, you know, he he was not treated properly and well for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a very devastating... this kind of sit on the fence and be quiet thing is also seen in the way that CRTC, your your TV regulator, has not been doing anything about a serious complaint that it received in 2019 over the use of forced televised confessions on Canadian airwaves by CDTN. You know, the Canadian government has really failed, I think, it's failed to protect its citizens, both abroad and, and at home, in view of those broadcasts. Um, and it's time, really to be tough i mean i know that there is this dilemma of you know will it make things worse for the two michaels but you know you've got to think long term here and what is in the long term best national security interests of canada and the canadian population and not some short time short term political um gains you know this is this is really ridiculous canada needs to get off its hands
0: yes totally agree with you peter i can't thank you enough for your time and certainly your shared um experience with this and uh I hope uh, this has an outcome like your own, but I'm afraid it's, uh, uh, you know, we're in different times, but I do very much appreciate your time with us.
3: Let let me just say one more thing, as this is recorded. Um, I just remember something, but until the end of 2018, China had a habit of broadcasting televised forced and false confessions on TV, and it aired those confessions in foreign countries, your Mm -hmm. airwaves, my airwaves. In in November of 2018, I I submitted a complaint to the UK television regulator, Ofcom. And in the last few months, I've managed to have uh, Chinese television kicked off the airwaves in, in, in the UK. I believe that if I hadn't filed that complaint a couple of years ago and set the ball rolling for a whole slew of similar complaints which followed it from other people, I believe that the two Michaels probably would have been paraded on television inside a cage like I was, right. um, yeah. so far they haven't done that. Um, and I suspect it's because uh, they do realize that they will they will suffer severe penalties if they do that to these two innocent men.
0: We will stay tuned. Peter, my uh, very humblest thanks for your time and your shared experience. I very much appreciate it.
3: Okay, thank you very much.
0: That is Peter Humphrey uh, joining us here. Uh, from the united kingdom so he uses his uh, life now to help others like the two michaels when we come back we'll talk about this and uh, the other day's headlines on counterpoint round one and we'll do that in just a second here on point on global news radio all right good to have you here um what does covid the post covid world look like when it comes to urban centers Um, we'll use Toronto's financial district as an example. You know, it's been empty pretty much for the last year of hundreds of thousands of people who work daily there, they shop there, they eat there. Are they going back to these towers post-COVID? Do businesses continue to pay huge leasing costs to house employees who can work from home? I mean, believe it or not, I was surprised to read about this. There's now a race to actually lock up commercial space that large businesses are starting to split And they're giving it to, you know, subletting it to those in places like e-commerce businesses, biotech businesses, food warehousing, industries that actually need space to store all these goods that are now in demand. Diana Hong is associate vice president of Collier's. And apparently, Diana, business is good. I actually thought it would be down. And you're telling us it's the opposite.
2: It's been fantastic in terms of demand, uh, huge demand on the industrial standpoint. Uh, we're seeing a lot of companies uh, out of the woodworks, uh, PPE users, um, companies that are um, auctioneers uh, with e-commerce returning items. We're seeing a huge demand on that front uh, for the industrial space. Um, there's a lack of product and the availability is, is is not there for for groups looking for space like that.
0: So you know, Scotia Bank, let's say in, in downtown Toronto, they gave up some of their space because they've got more employees working out of home, and and that is very expensive retail or or, or um, um, co- commercial space. I mean, the the price you pay on that is is a premium. Are are they getting rid of that space and finding people that want it because they've got um, goods to store? What how is it working?
2: So what we're seeing now, the trend is because there is a lack of industrial spaces. Um, Groups are being more creative, printing companies uh, that need the warehousing spaces or um, food groups. Because they can't find the industrial spaces with the shipping apron, uh, they would look to create a space such as retail uh, or office spaces with double-band doors instead of your your typical drive-in doors. Um, So converting those spaces into creative spaces as warehouse, that's what they're looking to do.
0: Is it only Toronto? Where, where are we seeing this happen across the province?
2: It's everywhere across the board, from the downtown core all the way to Burlington, even the West End, Pickering, um, all of these storefronts, um, they're all being um, repurposed or re-looked at for smaller industrial users. Um, there is definitely a struggle with retail and office, um, but mm-hmm. groups are looking at it differently.
0: So how will that change the landscape then of what we are used to when you think of a downtown, you know, you you look at a Toronto downtown or maybe a Hamilton downtown um, and you think, okay, that's where people shop for retail. That's where people dine out. What you're telling me is those places will look much different, you know, in a post COVID world.
2: For right now, definitely the, the trend for industrial buildings, industrial space, there's uh, that type of demand and we're, uh we are seeing uh, that trickling over from the Vancouver market uh they're using higher density buildings to be converted into industrial space we haven't seen the vertical warehousing here as of yet uh but there has been lots of discussions with uh prominent developers in the core uh to do vertical warehousing so we're definitely going to see a huge trend in, the, in that in the uh, in
0: the core Okay, and then what challenges does that pose? Because that means you're going to have a lot more delivery service downtown. You're going to have a, it's going to change the complexion, no question. But it's also going to have some logistical challenges once you get traffic back in the picture. Once you've got, you know, a bit more density with people back in um, in in urban centers.
2: Hundred uh, percent groups. I mean, industrial users—they're looking everywhere. They are spreading their wings further west, east, north. Um, whether it being downtown, um, if they need to come be in the downtown core, um, they're looking at smaller footprints um, to utilize that space in the interim uh, until hopefully the retail and office sector gets back into gear. And, and this would help accommodate landlords that are lacking the, uh, the rental income.
0: Yeah, and it certainly is an opportunity for, let's say, um, you know, a business that, that saw all its employers go home to work and now they're realizing, I don't need all this office space, but what do I do with it? So it's an opportunity for them to um, reclaim some income by by basically splitting the, the space that they've got.
2: Correct. And we're seeing a lot of industrial, larger industrial buildings because of the lack of uh, inventory and uh, Purchase opportunity. Um, bigger buildings are being becoming a industrial condo conversion uh, on the outskirts of the core, uh, and it's more achievable for for industrial users to purchase their own space. So we're seeing a lot of those larger buildings converted to smaller space. For are you surprised?
0: I You've been in this business a while. I mean, Collier's is a pretty pretty well-known uh, brand and name. Are, are you, I mean, everyone had to pivot, uh, and very quickly at the beginning of this pandemic. Are you surprised with how it's evolving?
2: Very surprised. Um, we are just bombarded uh, with sales and transactions. There's not enough product at the area. I, there's definitely a huge disconnect uh, when it does come to startup companies that are looking for space out there. Um, at the beginning of COVID, uh, groups were thinking landlords will provide a better incentive to get the space leased out for in- industrial space. It's definitely not the case at all. Uh, there's a big delta between um, the mindset of the tenants and landlords. There's um, a delta of, I would have to say, at least 3 to $4 per square foot when they're coming in to first offer in a space. Um, but when they... Are in the the lookout for space. Um, they realize there's nothing out there, and they have to pay the rates that that are being offered.
0: Wow! So there is opportunity out there. It's just changing um, pretty much how we do business.
2: Very much so. It's tough, wow. definitely, if they are starting a business at this time. No kidding.
0: Well, I guess it's uh, back to business you go. It didn't it didn't really seem like it stopped, but nonetheless, I'm glad to hear you're busy, and I appreciate your time explaining it.
2: My pleasure. It's very good to talk to you.
0: That is Diane Hong, Vice President of Colliers, joining us. So it'll be interesting to see through the uh, next few months what our urban centers end up looking like. When we come back, it's all about balance when it comes to restrictions. So why is it that York region seems to be able to find a balance and not turn to draconian measures, and yet all the other medical officers of health want to go, you know, right to tough restrictions? We'll talk about that next. Stay with us here, Alex Pearson, on this Friday with you on Global News radio.:
2: There's no one out there that wants to open up businesses more, more than I do, and vast majority of the places are, are open to the exception of restaurants and a, a few other areas.) Um, uh, believe me, it drives me absolutely w- crazy about closing business.
0: Sadly, that's not true. Uh, small businesses in Toronto and the GTA have now been shut down about 300 days, and uh, most aren't open at all. Gyms, restaurants, and salons, no-go. And uh, so, yeah, sure, you can open a patio if you've got one in the GTA in Toronto now, but salons can't open. And there is some suggestion that, well, maybe we can get you know hair cut outside, and, and that oh. might work for guys. I'm sorry, if you're a woman, you're not getting your hair cut and blow-dried on the sidewalk. Let me bring in someone who's been deeply affected by this uh, shutdown measures, Francesca Rochetti, owner of Francesca Salon and Spa. She joins us now. Good to have you. Hi, Alex. All righty, so I I thought maybe we'd get some news on restrictions being lifted today, and uh, you are still shut down.
1: Can you believe this? Now, how many times have I had the honor of being on your show? And has the story changed much? I don't think so. And I don't get it. How do Tory and Ford not know that the salon industry already is running under restrictions? And then with this epidemic, we've it like, I mean, it's it's more sterile than a, than a hospital, and I don't get this. Are are they just li- like literally sabotaging the salon industry? Because this is ridiculous now. Okay, you can get a massage. I mean, you can get botox. I mean, I honestly. I have no idea what's going on at this point. At this point, it's ridiculous, Alex. It's ridiculous. They have literally sabotaged, Ford and Tory have literally sabotaged my business after 28 years of working my butt off. He has put my industry underground. Everybody's going to work cash, and nobody's going to pay taxes. How are we going to get out of this crap?
0: Yeah, let me ask you this, because this is one of the busiest... This is one of the busiest times, you know, you've got Passover coming up and, and okay. you know, uh, women yeah. like to get their hair done. You've got Easter coming up. This is a really busy time where you guys would normally be just jammed full and like you are turning business away like crazy. Yeah. So can you imagine? Come on. Are you kidding me right now? Like you really
1: don't think we're essential? All over the world, salons are essential. Why not in the GTA? I'm not getting this. I'm not getting this. We have not even had any numbers. There's no there's no like you can see the, like, honestly, I feel like they're sabotaging our industry. How else can you look at it as, as, as somebody in business after 28 years? Are you kidding me right now? Like,
0: yeah, I mean, I'm starting, starting to look like Alex Crystal Gate Alex. I'm, I'm starting to look like Crystal Gale, but, you know, you mentioned that the uh, industry is going underground. I mean, and I'm hearing that a lot of, peop- of people that are just saying, you know what, to hell with this. I'm just going to take my tools and, and go out and, um, and make money like that because they're that desperate. Exactly. And I don't blame them, Alex. I really don't blame them. It took us so many years
1: to take this industry out of underground and paying taxes and so on. Oh, let me pay cash so I don't have to pay tax. Come on, you know what? We came a long way as an industry, and honestly, they've just thrown us back under, under, underground. Man, we're underground again. And this industry, good luck, good luck. Us, help. Like you know what? Honestly, like I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you know what? I don't blame them. Why not? Pay me cash. I you don't pay taxes. So how are we going to get out of this shift that we've
0: created? I've only got about a minute left, Francesca, but, you know, there are suggestions that, you know, we could let salons uh, cut hair outside. Would your salon be able to do that?
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay, Alex, how, especially now in the cold, okay, you're going to have a woman, a woman, never mind a man, maybe the man has the audacity or the ho to do it. But a woman sitting outside with her hair wet, getting her hair cut, she can't get a bow dry, she can't get it washed, you can't do a color, like, Come on, give me a break. What is this? Like, you know what? I have a high-end salon, and and I'm not going to stoop down to that level to do that. And my clients wouldn't do that either. Come on, give me a break. We've waited four months. We can wait a little bit longer until Ford and Tori wake the hell up.
0: Francesca, I feel for you. I uh, can't wait to come back and see you, and certainly I hope that that is soon. Thank you for sharing your time with me.
1: God bless you, Alex. Thank you so much.
0: Francesca uh, Francesca Salon and Spa, look, she, she is like so many. They've done everything by the book, and they're sitting there month after month after month losing everything. It is just uh, it's crazy. And I do look like crystal. My hair is so bloody long right now. least looks crazy on Global News Radio. You can join us, of course, live Monday through Friday starting 6.30 sharp. I'm Alex Pearson here on Point, and this is Global News Radio.